you have your Bibles, if you could uh, turn to Luke chapter 19, we're going to read that in just a moment, Luke chapter 19, and praise God, here we are today, uh, today begins uh, Passion Week, uh, we, we look forward to all that God's going to do as we get to celebrate, and this is not just confined to one week, one day out of the year, we celebrate Jesus and his resurrection every single day, we thank God for, for, for that, and for him loving us and, and coming to die for us and, and rising again. Uh, but today begins Passion Week. You know, as we know, next Sunday we're going to be celebrating Easter. We look forward to that and celebrating the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection. Amen. Because he resurrected, we will be resurrected. We're born again. Thank you, Jesus. And the week leading up to Easter, beginning today, is known, it's known as Passion Week. It was a final seven days of Jesus' earthly ministry. We read in the Gospels all the things that took place while he was here for 33 years, ministering to the lost, you know, raising people from the dead, bringing healing, bringing hope and encouragement, bringing the truth of God to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus' ministry was, and he came to be a sacrifice for you and I. And this week, Passion Week, we celebrate the last week of his earthly ministry. And imagine, put yourself in his shoes, Imagine you knew that next week was your last day here on earth. What would you do? What priorities would you have in your life? If you knew that beginning today, this was the last seven days of your life here on earth, and you were going to go off into eternity, it's a daunting thought. You know, I think that's why the Lord doesn't reveal to us when we're going to go and, and, and enter into eternity, because I don't know about you, I would, I would fall apart. I would, I would go crazy. And, and some may say that they would reprioritize their lives. Some say they would quit their jobs. Some say they would spend more time with family. Some say they would travel the world to see the world in the last seven days of their lives. But we look, we get a powerful display and image of what Jesus did in the last seven days of his life. And if we could sum it up, and it's not by accident that we call it Passion Week because he lived a life of passion. We know what passion is. Passion is having an intense feeling, desire, excitement for something. There are people that are passionate about sports, about your favorite sports team, about hobbies, about relationships, etc., etc. There are so many things that people are passionate about in this day and age, in this world, in their lives. I was reading about an individual who was so zealous and gung-ho for his soccer team that he tattooed on his upper torso all the colors. He basically tattooed a jersey on his body. The colors of his jersey from neck to torso, he, he tattooed his team's jersey onto his body. There's another individual who was so passionate about the sport of cricket and his nation's team that he actually went into a temple and he sacrificed his tongue, his very tongue, for his national cricket team. And sad to say that year they, they lost again. <laughs> what a sacrifice he made there. How about football? In January 2016, the, the Minnesota Vikings, they prepped to play the wild card battle against the Seattle Seahawks. And they played in their stadium and it was an outdoor game and it was negative six degrees there during their, that game, and negative 25 degrees with wind chill. 
It was the coldest game in Vikings history and the third coldest game in the NFL ever. And yet, one fan in particular went completely shirtless in the sub-zero temperatures. People are zealous and passionate about different things in their lives. And when we look at the life of Jesus and we think about Passion Week, again, it was the last seven days of his life, and we hear instances and stories in the Bible about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we're going to talk about this morning, Palm Sunday. Other instances in Passion Week were the temple cleansing, his second coming prophecy, the anointing, his last supper where he sat with his disciples, his farewell discourse that he spoke to his disciples, the promise of the comforter to come, the agony in the garden of Gethsemane, the kiss of Judas, his betrayer, his arrest, the Sanhedrin trial, mocking Herod's court, being flogged, being presented in front of Pilate, the crown of thorns, the walk of the Via Dolorosa, and onto his crucifixion, Passion Week, takes the form of so many things, and here we see a life that was lived with, with passion in the life of Jesus our Savior. So let's read in Luke 19, verse 28, and then we're going we're gonna to pray, and we're going to believe God to do something this morning. Amen. Luke 19, verse 28. The Bible says this. It says, After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Verse 30, go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you're going to see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying the colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. Verse 32, so they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Another, uh, in another book in John 12, 13, just for reference, it said, They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And then verse 37 of our text, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. In another book it says, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. Verse 39, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said this, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. In verse 40, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst out in cheers. Praise God. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we're grateful. God, we're grateful that we get to come into your presence, God, into your house to worship you, Lord to celebrate you, Father God, and all that you've done in our lives for your great mercy, Father, your manifold blessings upon our lives, oh, Father God. I pray that you would receive the praise and worship today, Lord, and that you would help us, God, to understand, God, what it means to live a life of passion for you, that we would serve you, God. I pray I lift up each and every one that's in this auditorium this morning, everyone that could hear my voice that's perhaps watching online. 
Blessings upon your people, Father, as we worship you, God, as we declare that this day is yours, Father God, that you would have your way, Lord. I pray uh, for any burden that your sons or daughters are carrying, that you would lift them right now, God, that we would just trust in you, that we would cast our cares upon you because your word tells us that you care for us, God. Have your way this morning, Father God. Bring hope, bring encouragement, bring challenge, bring change in our lives, oh, Father God, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask in Jesus' name. We all say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So here we see the fulfillment of prophecy. As we read this scripture in in uh, Zechariah 9.9, the Bible says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, Riding on the donkey's colt. I want to minister a message this morning. Live a life of passion. Now as we look here in this passage, we see Jesus here heading straightway into his destiny. As I mentioned, this was the last week of his life. And if we could put ourselves in his shoes, imagine where you would be headed if you knew it was the last day of your life. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that he had to lay his life down as a sacrifice. You and I probably would have made a U-turn on that donkey and went the other way. If we understood prophecy that that Jerusalem, that he was going to lay his life down, we probably would have tried to escape, would have went the other way. Some of us may have cowered in the corner of of our house and just sobbed for the last week of our lives. Some may have gone to see the world. Some may have did things that would fulfill their inner desires, things that they wanted to do and they wanted to see, their own selfish ambitions, our own selfish ambitions. But what did Jesus do? He knew what was coming. Full of passion, full of obedience to the Lord, full of desire to accomplish what God had given him to do. He was headed straight to Jerusalem for the last week of his life. He was walking straight into his destiny, straight into death, as you could say. While many were praising him and glorifying him, he knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. Yet, for his love, for his children, for you and I this morning, he continued on. He continued on for you. He knew this morning that you would need a sacrifice, that you would need forgiveness, that you would need redemption, that you would need deliverance in your life. He knew that way back then. He understood that you would have that need in your life. So what did he do for the love of you and I? He continued on. He pressed in for the love of his children. Many who might proclaim the love of the Father can have a difficult time walking towards God's plan for our lives, can't we? Perhaps because of entanglements or the ties of this world, perhaps we could have trouble walking towards our destiny, walking towards what we know God wants us to do. There was an instance in the, in the Gospel of Matthew where this man basically told Jesus, you know, from, from my youth up until now, I've obeyed all the commandments. I'm pretty much perfect, Jesus. Imagine that. He was telling Jesus, I've pretty much done everything that the commandments have asked me to, that God's asked me to. But Jesus told him, Understanding his heart, he says, if you're going to be perfect, go and sell what you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. What a commission. Jesus was telling him, come and follow me. And then in that instance, Matthew 19, 22, it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. 
See, here is Jesus leaving it all behind, going forward for what God had for him. And here was this man, thought he was perfect, that he had all together. And he said, Jesus, what, is, what else is there for me to do? Jesus said, go and sell what you have. The Bible says this man went away sorrowful because this was gripping on his heart. See, Jesus walked into his destiny. And he's called you and I this morning to live for him. Isn't that true? He's called us to follow him. That's what he told his disciples as he called them. In the very beginning when he first encountered them, he said, follow me. He wasn't a man of many words in those instances. He said, follow me. And they dropped what they were doing and they followed him. He's called you and I to follow him. Brother and sister, perhaps you're in this place and you're living life according to your own terms. You've been following someone else. You've been going elsewhere. God's saying, follow me. He's called us to love as he's loved, to love others. He's called us to share his word. He's called us to sacrifice. He's called us to obey. All the things in his, his word, he's called you and I to remain, to stand fast, to hold on, to be faithful, not to throw in the towel, not to give up, not to turn our backs on him. He's called us to stand and accomplish his will in our lives. While others, in Jesus' case, they all forsook him. He, know, he knew what he had to do. You ever felt stabbed in the back before? You ever felt betrayed? You ever felt that someone, that people have turned their, back on, their backs on you? The people that you feel that were closest, that should have had your back, turned their back on you, maybe backstabbed you, maybe you found out they were talking about you, maybe you thought that when the going gets tough, they were going to be the ones right by your side, but what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? They all fled. Judas came, kissed Jesus on the cheek. That was a sign of betrayal right there. They arrested him, and they all, all his disciples left. They were gone. He was alone. When at one time he was followed by crowds of people, and we get that instance here in the triumphal entry, he was, he was encompassed by so many people rejoicing, praising God for all that, that, that he was and who he was. In a moment, everybody was gone. He was alone. See, it takes passion to fulfill God's will in our lives. It takes passion to push through things like that when we feel betrayed, when we feel backstabbed, to continue on to do what God's called us to do because we understand that no matter what, we have to be obedient to Jesus. We're not here to please men and women. We're not here to, to gain the accolades of people, but we're here to serve God and to be faithful to him. Jesus was all alone, but he knew what he had to do. This morning, praise God if you're surrounded by people cheering you on. Yeah, go, do it, do it. Accomplish all God has for you. But there's going to be times when you and I are going to feel alone. And in those times, you have to understand that it's Jesus that's looking down on you, that it's God who's looking down on you. And he's saying, yes, son and daughter, continue on. Do it unto me because it doesn't matter if people are all around you or not. Do it unto me. 
Psalm 119, verse 133, the Bible says, Guide my steps by your word so I, I will not be overcome by evil. In those times of testing, in those times when perhaps you feel alone, pray. Let that be your prayer. God, order my steps in your word that I would do what you've called me to do, that I would accomplish your will. It doesn't matter if people are all around me cheering me on, giving me pats on the back, but I'm going to go forward and do all that you've called me to do. Don't get me wrong, I like a pat on the back. Right? We like approval. We like these things. It, 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 it caters to our feelings. But even if you don't get those things, you and I still have a responsibility to walk into our destiny just as Jesus did. In John 12, 27, Jesus said this in powerful words. He said, now my soul is troubled. You ever felt troubled? I felt troubled. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. That's what, that's what was on Jesus' heart. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. See, Jesus was struggling. He was human. He understands what it feels like to have inner turmoil. Maybe God, he understood God's will for his life, but he was, he was a man, and he understood that turmoil. He understood the temptation to turn his back and forsake God's calling because it was possibly going to be too hard. What did he tell the Lord? Lord, let this cup pass for me. He felt that. It was a difficult thing to understand all that he was going to face. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your, your will be done. What do we do when we know what God's will is for our lives, but we have trouble with it, but we struggle with it? What do we do? Do we make excuses why we can't do that thing? Why we can't obey God in that area? We make all these excuses, right? We're human. We understand. We know how to make an excuse. Jesus wasn't making any excuses. He could have said, I haven't done anything wrong, just as the rich man told him. I've not sinned once. Why am I going to go put myself under the hands of these people that are going to flog me? They're going to they're try to shame me. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head. They're going to they're hurt me. They're going to kill me. I'm innocent. He could have said that. But he understood the greater picture. In church, when you and I understand the bigger picture in the kingdom of God, we'll follow after God. We'll obey him. Sometimes when it's not the popular thing to do, sometimes even when your carnal mind can't understand why God said to do it, but in obedience and in faith you do it, you understand that God is going to be glorified, that God is going to move powerfully through your obedience. Why? Because you're obeying all that he told you to do, even sometimes when you don't understand why. There's an instance in the Bible, the, the person Naaman, he was a sick man. He was seeking God for a healing. He was sick. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9, he was sick that he heard about uh, Elisha the prophet, so he went to seek after Elisha for an answer of how he could be healed. In verse 9 it says, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. 
Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Here was Naaman. Man, he was down and out. He, he, he had leprosy. This was just a horrible disease. Physically it was horribly, but it was horrible, but socially it was horrible. You were marked if you had leprosy. No one wanted to talk to you. No one wanted to come around you. God, it's almost like what we're going through today, right? Man, if there's even a hint that you have a cough or that you have the sniffles, man, get away from me. Don't come into work. Take two weeks off. It's like the same thing. Verse 11. And listen to Naaman. Naaman writes, sometimes we have our thoughts and we think we understand how God's going to do something in our lives. And here was Naaman. He probably thought that Elisha was so powerful that he would just maybe just speak the word and he would be healed. Or Elisha would come himself, the man of God, the powerful man of God, right? He would take time out of his own day and he would come himself to Naaman, maybe lay hands on him and all would be well. But that didn't happen. Elisha didn't even get up himself. It says in verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger out to him. Man, Naaman must have been humbled, like, man, I'm not even important enough for Elisha, you, the man of God, to come and talk to me. You send your messenger? Send a messenger out with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your skin will be restored. Then in, in verse 11, but Naaman became angry and, and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. And then it goes on to say, aren't there so many other rivers that are more, that are cleaner than the Jordan River? See, he had his preconceived ideas how, of how his healing would come. But all in all, we read in that story that he got his healing. Why? Because he was obedient. And sometimes, church, we're not going to like what God says to us. We're not going to enjoy that feeling, that, that, that convicting feeling that he's telling us to do something. It's not going to feel good, but it's the medicine that we need. What is God telling you and challenging you with this morning? Perhaps it's a situation there at your job. God's giving you the instruction, but perhaps you haven't done it because it's too hard. People are not going to understand it. Perhaps it's family. Perhaps it's health related. Perhaps it's your finances. What has God told you to do? And perhaps you're not doing it because it just, it's too hard to do. Philippians 2, 5, it says, You must, must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Have the same attitude, church. The same attitude. Now, as we look at this great procession where Jesus came into Jerusalem, we get a, a look and a glimpse at people's responses to Jesus' arrival. Some worshipped in Matthew 21, 9, then the multitudes who went before him and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, this, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They worshipped him because they believed. Now there are others that were critical. Here was God moving. Here was the kingdom of God coming into their presence. Others were critical in Luke 19, 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Some treated Jesus as royalty. They spread out their garments ahead of him. They cut down branches and laid it on the road, palm branches. Some didn't know, Matthew 21, 10, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. So there are different responses that, 
you and I will have when the kingdom of God, when God is working in our lives. Sometimes we'll recognize it, so we sing worship, we give God praise for that. Other times we'll be critical of it. God, this is not your word, this doesn't make sense. God, you're telling me to do this, it goes against everything that I'm feeling. It goes against who I am, it goes against who I am, you know, how I look in people's eyes. Sometimes we're critical. Sometimes, justly, we treat Jesus as royalty, and sometimes we just don't know. My goodness, Lord, is this your will? And in those times, we have to look in the, in the word of God. Do you recognize God's working in your life? Do you recognize his instruction? The visitor in this place this morning, perhaps you're here for the first time, or perhaps you're visiting with us, you've had a long absence for whatever reason. If you look around your life, I believe that you'll be able to see the fingerprints of God in your life. And that doesn't mean it's been a rosy path. It doesn't mean that everything has worked out good. Probably the contrary. It's not working out for you right now. Perhaps you're running from God and things just aren't going your way out there. And here you are this morning. Can I say that's the grace of God on your life? He's trying. God is trying to just get you into the kingdom of God. He's saying, while there's time, I'm trying to draw you. Of course, I'm not going to allow things to go perfectly out there because you're not following me. God's saying, I don't want you to stay out there. I want you to be in my kingdom. So I'm going to let these things happen and transpire in your life. But will we heed the call? Will we recognize what God is doing? You've been running. It's time to stop running. Surrender. Surrender to him. There are those folks who ask those qu the question, who is this? So the question is to you and I. When the presence of God comes in our life, and this is also to the believer, believer, unbeliever, okay? It's for all of us. When God's doing something new in your life, what response is it going to evoke in our lives? We're going to worship God and say, God, thank you for this. It is well with my soul, Lord. Even if, if I don't understand it, God, I receive it. I worship you, God. I thank you. I thank you, Jesus. I trust your sovereignty. I trust everything you're doing in my life. Or perhaps are we going to get critical? Or perhaps are we going to question, God, is this you? It's not you, God. What response is it going to solicit in your life? And let's, let's turn it for a moment. Let's flip it over for a minute. Sometimes the work of God that is going on in your life, it's going to evoke this response from other people. Sometimes they're going to praise God for what he's doing in your life, but sometimes they're going to scratch their head. Like, what? You tithe to the Lord now? You give offerings to, to, to God? You, you, you give some of your finances and your, your material gain to the... To God, you, you, you know, you're not drinking anymore. You're not part. You're not going here or there anymore. They're scratching their head. Praise God. Let them scratch their head. Amen. It's something new to them. They knew the old you, right? They saw how your life was before, but now you're not doing these things. So they're, they're baffled. They're amazed. Praise God for that. We look at Jesus' desire. In Luke 19, verse 41, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw that the city, he saw the city and wept over it. And he said, say, in verse 42, saying, if you, had know, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. 
and level you and your children with you, within you, to the ground. And they will not leave you and uh, leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Here was Jesus, the Messiah, coming into Jerusalem. But he understood the unbelief. He understood who it was going to be that was going to betray him. It was his very people. It was the Jews. They didn't receive his message, so they betrayed him. They even went on to tell, to tell Pilate that Caesar's our king. Here was Jesus, the Messiah, who was their, their king, the one who came to save them. But they desired so much that he would be murdered, that he would be killed. They convicted their very, their very selves by telling Pilate, Caesar is our king. Understand what God wants to do in your life. See, many of the people worshiping as, as Jesus came into the city, they did it because they thought that he was going to bring political freedom, political liberation, that he was going to bring national liberation. This was their promised land, but they were under the rule of the Roman Empire at this time. So the Roman Empire, they would, they would place into power people that they saw fit to rule the Jewish people. And then Herod the Great was ruling them at this time. But see, Jesus came with the bigger picture. He came to, to liberate them spiritually. He came to free them spiritually, but they didn't see it. And this is why he wept over the city. He saw the city and wept over it. Why? Because they missed it. They didn't realize that he came to save their souls. And this shows God's desire. Whatever's going on in your life, God is working in your life. God's trying to bring you, bring us to him, and he's, he's constantly working that we would follow him. Please, believer, unbeliever, anyone hearing my voice, recognize what he's doing. Because he wept over Jerusalem because they didn't get the picture, they didn't get the message. And here this morning, here you are in the presence of God. You have such a priceless opportunity this morning to surrender to Christ. And see, when they hardened their heart, when they rejected the truth, when they rejected the message of Christ, that's why he was weeping over Jerusalem. Let it not be said about us. God's message is coming forth. God is telling you, I have a plan for you. I have a desire for you. I have a desire to, to prosper you, to help you, to save you. Please get the message. Come to me while there is still time. Let me save your soul. Let me cleanse you. Let me deliver you. Let me help you. Please, Jesus is saying, please, don't, don't belabor this opportunity because you don't know if you're ever going to get it again. Jesus was heartbroken. He wept over the city. This shows his desire to save mankind. John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief does not come to steal, kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, and then they may have it more abundantly. That's God's desire for you and I. John 4.14, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. It's God's desire to, to, to quench your thirst, believer. He came to save, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. See, that's his desire. You're here this morning. God knows what you went through to get here to the house of God this morning. God knows the inner turmoil that you're facing, that you're struggling with. He knows the situations you're going on there in your home, perhaps, or perhaps just within your heart and in your mind and in your spirit. He understand, understands everything going on. He desires to save you. 
He desires to strengthen you. He desires to deliver you. He desires to redeem you. He desires to set you free. He desires to heal you. He desires to provide for your every need, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. He desires to meet every need in your life. Grasp that, please. That's the message. Grasp it this morning, that God desires to do good things in our lives, that his plans for us are to to prosper us, right? Not to harm us, but to give us a hope, a future, and an expected end. Thank you, Jesus. That is God's desire this morning. And lastly, as we prepare to close, we are encouraged, follower of Christ, Christian, believer, to keep working for his kingdom. See, here as he was coming into Jerusalem, many thought that it was time that his physical kingdom was going to be established, that he was going to take his rightful place there on the throne in Jerusalem, and he was going to rule with all power physically here on this earth. That's what they thought. They thought that they would be peers with him, that those that were following him, that they would know the king, and that they would, they would rule with him. Many thought that. But no, Jesus was coming to lay his life down. And what was he telling those who would remain? Get to work. Continue the work. I'm not going to be with you here physically many more days, but get to work. Continue with God's business. Continue with kingdom business. And this is God's instruction for you and I, church, is to continue in the work of God, to remain faithful in the work of God. Sometimes we're tempted to quit. Sometimes we're tempted to throw in the towel. But God has called us to be faithful with what he's called us to be faithful with. Jesus' earthly time here was coming to an end but his disciples would remain as the worship team makes their way up. His disciples would remain. And here he gave promise there in Passion Week about the Comforter, that he would not leave them alone. He says, although, yes, I'm physically leaving, I'm going to send the Comforter, someone that will remind you of everything I taught you, that will guide you and strengthen you, that would bring revelation, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' desire, yes, although he was going to physically leave, that he was going to empower you and I to continue the work. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was the commission that Christ gave. It wasn't time for them to stop working. It was a time for them to begin to dig in and work even harder. Believer, this week we celebrate Passion Week. We celebrate Jesus' death and we celebrate his resurrection. We recognize his death. We celebrate his resurrection. But there's work to do for each and every one of us. We're laborers. We're called to get to work. You know what that means for you. You know what that means for you. I believe God's bringing revelation right now to hearts. John 9 of 4, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when no one can work. While there is time, get to work. Kingdom business. Tell others about Christ and what he's done in your life while there is time, while they are still here on this earth. Many have slipped off into eternity without even knowing it. You and I are surrounded by so many people each and every day. We have to continue with the work that God's called us to be faithful to. Luke 9, 62, but Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Believer, it's Passion Week. 
And all this week, let it be on our hearts and minds and celebrate Jesus and all that he's done for us. But let us be inspired. Just as Jesus did to walk straightway into our destiny. There's no time to waste. Life is short. Time passes. We have to walk straight into our destiny. And whatever God is laying on your heart, let your spiritual response be praise and worship for that. Some of the things he lays on your heart are going to feel good. They're going to be affirmations. They're going to be great. But sometimes the Lord will lay conviction on our heart and say, it's time for you to get to work. I've been dealing with you on this situation. It's time to recognize it and let me work in your life. Don't be critical as the Pharisees were, but worship him. And understand that God's desire is to save us and to help us, to redeem us and to restore us. Let him accomplish that work in our lives. Don't break his heart. Don't cause him to weep over us as he wept over Jerusalem because we just didn't get the message. But contrary, understand Jesus' desire, that he desires to redeem us, to save us, to deliver us, to heal us, to help us. And believer, keep working. If you're not working for him, if you're not part of God's kingdom, if you're not accomplishing his work in your life, it's time to get to work. Each and every one of, of us have a, a responsibility in that. Each and every one of us. Every single one. There's no one in this auditorium this, man, uh, this morning or those hearing my voice online that are exempt. We all have a responsibility to work for the kingdom of God. See, in this Christian walk, we've laughed, we've cried, we've been full of faith. There have been times that we've been faithless. There have been times that we've passed the test. There have been times that we've failed the test. There have been times we've been full of faith. There have been other times that we've been confused, perhaps. There have been times we've been driven all for the kingdom. There have been times that we felt crushed. But all in all, let us be thankful for the grace of God in our lives that has kept us. Can you say amen? He's kept us, right? It doesn't mean that we're perfect or that, we're atta that we've attained. Sometimes it's been a roller coaster. We've been through so many things, so many emotions, so many experiences. But by the grace of God, we go. Because of that grace and his word this morning, we're reminded that he wants us to be passionate as he was and is passionate for us. To continue on. Not to waver or to quit, but to accomplish his kingdom business in the little time that we have remaining. So this morning, believer, if you're not at work, get to work. Understand his desire for you to help you and to heal you and strengthen you. And understand the responsibility that we have to promote his kingdom in this world. And by doing that, I believe that we'll live a life that, God's wanted, uh, that God wants us to live, a life of passion this morning. Praise God. Let's give God praise in this place. Father, we're grateful, my God. We thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for your calling, oh God. Thank you for your truth in this place, oh God. Father, we're grateful, Lord God. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, move tonight with every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.